that velvet music means that it is time yet again for the Cycling with Watts podcast. I am your host, Jared Watts. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode number 12. Yes, it's exciting. We've gone past 10, gone past 11. We're on to 12 now. It's been a short journey, but I thank you so much if you've been there from the beginning. This is your first time tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning in. And what is this podcast all about? Well, it's a podcast dedicated to getting you out on your bike more, bringing you pro news from the Peloton, bringing you all the best stuff that's coming out in the world of cycling, bringing you maintenance tips, and then bringing you training tips. And usually I pack all that stuff into one episode but moving forward i'm going to start breaking that up into two podcasts a week so today we're focusing on the pro peloton and tech news and then on friday i will be releasing another one focused on maintenance and training so that's how i'm going to do it moving forward but thank you so much for tuning in today we got a lot to unpack from the world championship road race and then we also got a brand new aero road bikes let's roll that sting music and get right into it so the uci world championships took place over the weekend this is releasing on a tuesday those races happened on saturday and sunday we had the women's race on saturday had the men's race on sunday and both races resulted in new world champion so we will get to see two new world champion rainbow stripe jerseys being donned in both the women's peloton and the men's peloton and both the winners have had great great careers but have never won the world championship so for the first time ever both of these riders have basically accomplished almost everything in their cycling career except for wearing those rainbow jerseys and I'm really excited to see them in their new kit I'm a little bit disappointed on the men's side purely from a fashion standpoint that some other people didn't win it because I really wanted to see how they were going to pull off the rainbow stripes but still super happy for the winner on that side so the women's race started off on Saturday and basically it was going to be not, not a fight because there was nothing, no internal happenings that were coming out in the news or anything like that, but it's going to be dominated by the Dutch squad. It was just going to be who of that squad was going to have the best legs, have the best race, all of that stuff, and uh, who was going to come out on top of that Dutch squad. And it was pre-race favorite, Anna Vanderbregen, and she took those rainbow stripes away from a not only a Dutch teammate but also a teammate during the regular season of Bulls Dolmans in Chantel Black so Anna Vanderbregen is now your new women's world road race champion and she'll be wearing those rainbow stripes next season taking silver was Amanda Spratt of Australia and bronze was taken by Tatiana Guderzo of Italy now Anna Vanderbregen is finally claiming those rainbow bands as I was alluding to earlier as she's had a couple strings of near misses in the worlds and she's done about everything else that uh, that you can do in cycling basically and she's had six silver medals and a bronze across both the road race and the world time trials in her career but has never been able to snag that gold medal on the roadside but she finally 
did it and how did she do it? Well, she did it in very amazing fashion. She broke away with 40 kilometers left to go and ended up beating her second place finish by almost four minutes, I think. So she dominated that race. And I mean, yes, she was the pre-race favorite, but still, even if you're the pre-race favorite, you have to have a lot of things go right for you in order to win. And she did it in very dominating fashion. Now, what is, I think, absolutely amazing is the teamwork she had. Now, the the Dutch squad was stacked. They had another race favorite in Annemiek van Vluten, who was the time trial champion. So she just won the, the time trial a couple days ago, and now she's racing in this, and she had a crash. She had a cra- crash with about 95 kilometers left to go. She crashed, got back on her bike, and helped Anna Vanderbregen basically capture her winning move. But in that crash, she, like, broke her knee. She had a piece of her bone floating around in her knee that she didn't realize until after the race. She thought maybe she just, you know, got out of place. She she didn't really know what happened, but she ended up breaking her knee. So she's going to be out for four for four weeks now, she underwent surgery, I believe today or yesterday she underwent surgery. She's out now. She's doing good, and she's she's looking forward to the uh, to the recovery process. But absolutely crazy that she, like, broke a piece of her knee off, kept racing, helped her teammates set up the winning move, and placed seventh overall. I mean, that's badass. <laughs> Incredible. And, and you know, in one way, the UCI says that uh, women aren't as tough as men based on how long they can actually race because there is a, a rule on that. But Annemiek Van Vluten, absolute badass to get back on her bike after that crash, help her teammate win, Anna Vandebregen, and then still take seventh overall with a broken knee. So, man, hats off to her. That is some absolute toughness. And, yeah, congrats to Anna Vanderbregen. That is awesome for her. And the women did not get to climb the Hull or Hell Hull climb. H-O-L-L is what it's actually or how it's spelled. And the men did. It went up to 28%. And that was absolutely phenomenal to watch. I hope you got to see that because it was so, so satisfying watching the top – of the cycling world, the best of the best, you know, guys who are exponentially better than me go like five miles an hour up a hill. It was awesome. I loved watching. I loved watching them suffer. I loved watching them go as slow as me on like a 10% grade, but that was, that was great. So the men's race, let's get over to that. Another, you know, veteran in the, in the field, a guy who has done a lot in his career, someone who is very well-liked within the Peloton, maybe not so well-liked outside of the Peloton. I'll touch on that in a little bit. But Alejandro Valverde, the Spaniard, he rides for Team Movistar during the regular season. He was able to pull out the win, and he looked great all day. Looked to be the strongest going into that last final climb. And basically, if there was going to be a group of people together, it was going to be Valverde who was going to be able to out-sprint them at the end. And he did out-sprint both Roman Bardet and Michael Woods to where 
those rainbow stripes. So congrats to Alejandro Valverde. But how did it all unfold? Well, there was a breakaway for, I would say, up until about 100 kilometers, I believe, the the breakaway. And the breakaway actually got up to an 11-minute lead, which was a pretty big lead. You, you knew the whole time that they were going to pull it back. But still, 11 minutes is a long ways, and anything can happen in a race. And so for the breakaway to get an 11-minute lead was pretty significant. And there was two guys who stayed out in front of that lead up until about 24 kilometers left but one of those guys in that breakaway was Connor Dunn of Ireland now Connor Dunn rides for team Aqua Blue Aqua Blue just folded about a month ago now they were set to ride the Tour of Britain and like two days before the Tour of Britain they pulled out they didn't have the funding team was over team was done nobody from Aqua Blue was going to be able to ride in the Tour of Britain one of those riders Connor Dunn of Ireland, him and Larry Warbass of the United States went on this quasi cycling tour of their own called the No Go Tour, and that was his uh, that was his training for worlds, you could say. So uh, w- one of the running jokes along the entire UCI World Championship Road Race was that if Connor Dunn wins this race nobody will be doing the Vuelta anymore nobody will be doing any of these races leading up to the worlds they will just go on the no-go tour basically bikepacking by themselves throughout whatever mountains they want and that is going to be the training program for winning worlds but Connor Dunn did not win the rainbow stripes he still put in a very strong effort got a lot of tv time was up in that breakaway for a long time but after basically that breakaway was caught Michael Valgren put in some heavy, heavy, heavy work. He went out soloed. He looked like he might have a shot at pulling it out. I mean, soloing to victory as Anna Vanderbregen did. He did not do that, unfortunately, as he was caught. But kind of during all of that time that that was happening, you started to see the team starting to form. You know, the French, the Italians, those were probably the two strongest teams going into it. But we really saw the Italians moving up to the front of that pack with Vincenzo Nibali and Gianni Mascon as the two people that they were riding for. But I think it was made well, it was made known to the public before the race that Nibali was not going to be the team leader that they would be riding for Gianni Mascon. And it was becoming pretty evident that that was happening. And Gianni Mascon was ultimately the guy that they were riding for. He ended up fifth overall, but uh, get to that in a little bit. So the Italians started to come up front we saw after Valgren got caught we saw another try from Greg Van Avermaet which was awesome to see I wanted GVA to win because he was my outside dark horse he did not win he was caught uh, within about five minutes or so but after so so the whole race course was a section of flattish hilly area and then they came into what they called this like olympic course where it was seven laps uh 24 kilometers with a good amount of climbing in it so they were going to go through those seven different laps and racing really didn't start i would say until about lap three lap four uh the first three laps people were just kind of settling in trying to hide back in the the back of that peloton as that was kind of a trend uh, along the day and i know one coach i believe it was the italian coach the french coach was talking to somebody after the race and they said basically your 
the plan for the day is to hide, hide, hide. Actually, that was on the cycling podcast uh, presented by Rafa, which I love Rafa. So that is a great podcast as well. They do an awesome job after races, and they were the ones that talked to the the French coach who said hide, hide, hide. But you could definitely tell that a lot of people were hiding. You didn't really see the big names start to pop out until 60 kilometers left, something like that. You started to see their face every once in a while, and really until like the last lap of that Olympic course is when we really started to see those favorites coming out, which isn't unusual for you know a race of this caliber or a stage like this but uh yeah they hit in the back you know the yates twins were basically in the back of peloton the entire time so we didn't really see racing start to to happen besides the breakaway until lap three or four of that olympic course and then really started to see those favorites come out probably on lap six definitely on towards the end of lap seven and then coming into that hell climb is you know that that's where your uh day was either won or lost was on that hell climb so even though racing didn't really start until lap three or four we saw a lot of people exit the race i mean it was just like one after another after another were dropping out of this race and it's kind of odd to see this many people dropping out of the race but also at the same time they're not racing for anything else this is a one day race and i said in my preview show that you have to race a one-day race different than a grand tour nobody has to finish this race so that they can race tomorrow if you've done your job if you're wore out you can exit the race and there is no shame no nothing because basically a top 10 finish is nice but basically if you're not on that top step who really cares i mean it's cool to be on the podium don't get me wrong very cool to be on the podium but everybody wants that rainbow jersey. Unlike Tour de France, where if you're in the top 10, that's pretty prestigious. If you're on the podium, that's super prestigious. And if you win it, you know, you're kind of etched into the history books of cycling. Some of the one-day races, too, Perry Roubaix, Strada Bianchi. You know, it's good to get a top 10 finish. That's, that, that can really prove well for the rest of your season. Getting a top 10 finish in the Worlds isn't as big, I would say. So... Exit the race, and Peter Sagan, three-time world champion. He has been wearing the rainbow jersey for the past three years. He left after, I believe, lap three or four, and I knew Peter wasn't probably going to finish the race, that he was probably going to pull out, as a lot of guys did. And uh, I, I was still surprised, though. The announcers were still wondering in the middle of the race, is Sagan going to have enough to to pull it out is he going to be able to survive the climbing and is he going to be there at the end and and mix it up with the rest of the guys and pull on that jersey for the fourth time no there was absolutely no chance that Sagan was going to do that he is an amazing amazing bike ride bike rider and one of the most fun to watch I mean he can pop a wheelie going up a hill and just put on an absolute show for the crowd but he is not a climber I mean this course was really for climbers I think it was 5,000 kilometers of climbing it was it was for the climbers so I he pulled out and I thought there was nothing wrong with that a couple of people a couple of things I read I don't know maybe poo-pooed it you know being the world champion and maybe not respecting the race no Peter Sagan has done so much for the sport I think he's a great face for the sport he's not a climber this was not for him he could suffer the rest of the way 
or suffer and just pull out and not have to suffer anymore. So Sagan exited the race along with a lot of other people. So as we come into this whole climb, we start to see these favorites coming out. We see Julian Alaphilippe. We see Roman Bardet. We see Alejandro Valverde. We see Michael Woods, Tom DeMoulin. We see these these top people who we thought were going to win the race. We all start to see them coming out and ready to fight. And then up that hall, hell, climb, whatever you want to call it, that's where the race was won and was lost. We saw some of those favorites not being able to make it up that. And uh, the big pre-race favorite was Julian Alaphilippe, and he just didn't – he did not have the legs. And I really thought before the race, Roman Bardet would be better suited because he is more of a pure pure climber, but Julian Alaphilippe was the pre-race favorite. He didn't have the legs, and so he dropped on that climb, and really you started to see – Michael Woods, Roman Bardet, and the winner, Alejandro Valverde, along with Gianni Moscon, were all starting to look like they were going to be the ones to win the race. And Gianni Moscon dropped on that climb too. He just did not have the legs. He ended up fifth overall, so not bad. But uh, Gianni Moscon just did not have it. And then Tom DeMoulin as well started to really make a move. So the three up, Michael Woods, Roman Bardet, and Alejandro Valverde, they looked like they were the three that were going to make it to the finish line. Nobody was going to catch them. Then you had Gianni Moscon behind them and Tom DeMoulin behind him. And all of a sudden, Tom DeMoulin started surging, caught Gianni Moscon, and then caught the three after the hell climb. But he wasn't able enough to disrupt the podium. He, uh, he just didn't have the legs, he said, in the sprint, but he was right there in the mix, so it was fun to watch him come back, which... I was really looking forward to DeMoulin taking the rainbow stripes as he's just been so classy. You know, he won the world time trial last year. So all of this year in time trials, he's been wearing those rainbow stripes. And I've really come to grow and love Tom DeMoulin just the way he carries himself. He's still pretty young. I believe he's 26 years old. He, he has a lot of respect for other riders. He has a lot of class. He has a lot of panache. So I really thought he was going to wear those rainbow stripes well. And it would have been amazing to see him kind of come from behind and take those rainbow rainbow stripes. But he just did not have enough when they came into those few last meters of racing. He just didn't have legs. And he said that in an interview afterwards, that he just did not have the legs to keep up with those three guys. So after they came out of that hell climb, it was... Alejandro Valverde, who was able to sprint it out and take the win ahead of Roman Bardet and Michael Woods. And so Roman Bardet, again, I wanted him to win as well because I thought he would really wear those rainbow stripes well. And then Michael Woods taking third. He's a Canadian rider and probably the definitely one of the best finishes of his career. Never been a Canadian to win the world championships just short, though. Just short. Put it in an absolute performance, though, and really did his country proud. I mean, he put it in an absolute performance, looked fantastic, was right up there to the end. And, uh, you know, when these guys cross the line, they're so close to each other that they all get the same time. So you could even say he was a second down because technically they were all at the same same time. So congrats to all three of those guys. But Congrats to Alejandro Valverde. Now, Alejandro Valverde, I'm super happy for him. 
he's 38 years old and still kicking butt in the pro peloton. You know, it just seems like age is defying this guy. He's not the oldest person to win the Worlds. There's somebody who was like 100 days older than him, but definitely one of the older guys in the peloton. And, he, and from what I've heard, he's very well respected in the pro peloton. But he also has a, uh, you could say, a dark side. I wouldn't necessarily call it a dark side, but he uh, got caught for blood doping and served a two-year suspension. And so that has kind of haunted him throughout his career in the way that the media views him and that the peer cyclists view him. And so it was kind of bittersweet for some people that he won as they respected him for how long he has been in the pro peloton, but also don't respect him for his for his doping. And so I don't know what your view is on that. If you care about doping, if you don't care about doping, if somebody is doped, then they should never come back. But he, he served his two-year suspension, so he is fine to race now as long as he is not still doping. You know, congrats to him. I mean, he, you have to be an amazing rider to win these worlds. And I think that doping question really brings up a good topic that I want to get into on a podcast down the road guessing in the winter time where there's a little less content a little less racing to go on i really want to go into a deep dive on the the criminalization of doping and how the cycling world treats doping because there are some people let's say lance armstrong on the extreme side who we just cast out they doped we're done with them they're the worst they're the scum of the earth they're absolutely nothing. I think that's wrong, just to say that. But then on the flip side, there's people who dope, and nobody cares. After they come back, just absolutely nobody cares. And we just forget to mention it. We forget to, you know, whoever that home country is will absolutely clap and go crazy for them. But if it's somebody that they don't like, such like Chris Froome with the Salbutamol case coming into the Tour de France, People booed him at every chance that they could in the Tour de France, and I think that's just wrong. So that is something for down the road, but I think Alejandro Valverde kind of brings up that good point because he is now going to be in those rainbow colors for all of next year. So you will always remember that he is the world champion. And for some people, I think that's just going to be kind of a moment every time they see that because they're still mad at the doping case that he had, even though he served his suspension. While other people are going to celebrate, one, his his age, his maturity that he's been in the peloton this long, and he still has that kind of ability, and the respect that comes with being in the peloton that long and performing at the level Valverde has performed at throughout his career. So I really think that is a, a good point to dive into for a later podcast. But overall, the World Championships were really fun to watch. It was really fun to watch people struggle that much from the climbing perspective, and we saw a ton of people exit the race. And I didn't see this live, but uh, Global Cycling Network, on their race roundup show that they put on every Monday, had a, a picture, and then on their Instagram they had a video of it. But some guy actually walking up that whole climb, professional rider dismounting his bike and walking up it, looking like he was in cyclocross and you know what that is that makes me feel a lot better about my 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 biking 
and what I'm doing to see a pro get off their bike and walk up this hill. No making fun of him at all because that is an absolutely brutal climb after however many miles, you know, 140 miles of racing before that and then have to go up this devastating 28% climb. He can get off his bike and, and run a little bit. That is just fine with me. But it was great to see people suffer that much. And it was great to see Alejandro Valverde have the emotion that he did afterwards. You know, he, he, he cried. He was just so energetic on the podium. He had his kids up there. He just so showed so much passion and emotion for the sport. And to see somebody be that happy after winning that race was really satisfying as a fan to watch. And just overall, it was a great world. Happy for Anna Vanderbregen. Happy for Alejandro Valverde. Rowan Dennis, who won the time trial. Annemiek Van Vluten, who won the women's time trial. You know, congrats to all of those who will be wearing the rainbow stripes next year. So we just got a little bit more to cover on the pro side, but that is wrapping up the UCI World Championships in Innsbruck. So just a couple quick things. Got some transfer news. Lars Boom of Lotto NL Yumbo is signing with the new team Rompot for next year. And Segafredo of Trek Segafredo announced that they will now be sponsoring the new women's Trek factory team. So that's awesome. So basically kind of have two Trek Segafredo teams both men's and women's, which we've seen that on the Movistar team and on the Mitchelton Scott team and on the uh, Giant Sunweb, who will no longer be Giant Sunweb, but they also have that men's and women's team basically under all the same house. So I think that that's really cool. And speaking of Giant Sunweb, I'm going to get to this a little bit later in tech news as well, but they did announce officially that they will not be riding giant bikes next year, but they will be riding Cervelos next year, and that's a very subtle hint to what is to come in tech news. And next, we have a brand new segment. A brand new segment. Actually, kind of the first real segment of the cycling with watts podcast now we have pro news and tech news so those are kind of segments but this is a special segment and actually i'm gonna shout out to my co-worker brant egerton if you're listening brant this is just for you but this is a brand new segment and you know what that calls for that calls for sting music so we have brand new sting music that is going to bring up this new segment. So every time you hear those sirens, that means we are having Sagan watch. That is right, Peter Sagan. We are going to watch him in this segment. So you hear those sirens, you think Siren Sagan. Siren Sagan. Siren Sagan. Just put those two words together. Every time you hear a siren, especially on this podcast, that means Sagan Watch is coming up next. So Sagan Watch, for the very first 
time on the Cycling with Watts podcast. Sagan Watch is including Sagan up on stage, putting the medal around the neck of Alejandro Valverde. I don't know when it was planned, if it was planned way in advance, or if it was planned like that day, or like two minutes before it happened, but Sagan came up on stage and was the one to give the medal to Alejandro Valverde, and it was absolutely amazing. I mean, Peter Sagan showed so much class when he did that, but they announced it over the loudspeaker. I got super excited as a fan. I perked up, you know, kind of started doing a dance in my seat because this was awesome watching Sagan basically pass the torch on to Alejandro Valverde, maybe say like, hey, buddy, you're only going to borrow this for a year. I'm going to get that jersey back. But he did it all with smiles, and it was super awesome. The crowd went crazy for it. They loved it. And it was cool to see a kind of a surprise guest appearance from Peter Sagan. It felt like watching the Masters where the previous champion puts the jacket on the new champion. It was amazing. Sagan looked great. Now, we don't get to see Sagan next year in the Rainbow Stripes. It's been it's been a great three years watching him. He's had so much class with it, so much panache, and just he looks good in Rainbow Stripes. But that's okay. Alejandro Valverde will have to take the reins on that. Hopefully Sagan, not hopefully, Sagan will get it back. I mean, crazy things can happen, but I'm guessing Sagan will definitely get those rainbow stripes back on his chest in his career. So that ends the very first Sagan watch. We are going to just keep an eye on if Sagan's got a new mustache, if he's got a new beard if he's got a new wheelie trick, if he's got new hair, if he's got new glasses, because he regularly dons new 100% glasses. Sagan's just always doing something fun. So this ends the very first segment of Sagan Watch. If you like this segment, you can thank Brant Egertson for suggesting this. And I'm really only doing this just for him. So thank you, and I hope you like Sagan Watch. Next, we're going to move on over into tech news. There was no good segue for that one other than the fact that we're just going to cut Sagan Watch hard. i got to figure out a way to end Sagan Watch. Maybe some other good sting music will come up. I like the sirens, though. I do like the sirens heading into that. I hope that wasn't too loud on whatever speaker you're playing this on because I like the sirens. So what is, uh, what's coming up in the tech world? You know, nothing uh, nothing too big this week besides a new aero bike. Which you could say that is pretty big. But no, the tech, uh, tech world's been kind of down a little bit. Nothing too big has been coming out. And then like, boom, we get a new bike. And every website is popping up about it. I saw it this morning. It is Monday after the World Championships. So just announced a lot of those top cycling journal companies like cycling tips cycling weekly they already got to preview the bike so they were all ready to go for this launch but yes Cervelo has launched a brand new bike called the Cervelo s5 and it's a pretty sweet looking bike i really like the looks of it so far and it is a it's a new aero bike aero bikes seem to be the trend this year cannondale came out with a 
new aero bike that they really didn't have one on the pro tour i believe actually their first aero bike bmc came out with a new one at the tour specialized s works came out with a new one this year as well so it's kind of been the year of aero bikes which is great because they just look they just look freaking fast i mean just standing there they look fast so the new Cervelo s5 now the most striking piece of this bike is actually the handlebar stem situation. The first time I saw it, I, I thought I was looking at the Canyon Grail, which if you remember when the Canyon Grail came out, it has this like hover handlebar on it. So it almost looks like it has two handlebars. You have the drops, and then you have two pieces of top section, one that connects to the bike and one that hovers, and that was meant to give more comfort to the rider over rough terrain. And so that's what I thought I was looking at when I saw this picture and I was like, oh, Canyon came out with a new bike. That was actually Cervelo coming out with a new aero bike. And this is a little bit different of a handlebar setup. So I'm going to take this from the perspective of I'm sitting in the saddle. So if I'm sitting in the saddle, looking down at the handlebar, I have my hands on the hoods and then I can move them to the tops and then usually in between your hands you would have where the stem and the bar connect as long as we're talking about a two-piece where the stem would open up you put the bar in put those bolts on clamp it down you torque it torque it to spec because we're working with carbon here but no this is a uh, looking down on it it is a y-shaped stem if you want to call it it's almost like there's no stem there there's this where it breaks out from the top tube and then two bars run in a y direction that go up to the handlebar and then there's this open space in the middle so if i'm sitting where my stem cap would be there's basically a hole straight down into the ground and so it's this new look for a handlebar now, why do they do that? There's a couple of reasons that they do this Y handlebar. I really encourage you to go look at pictures of this bike because it's it's very different. We will see if that, you know, transcends into other bikes, into other aero bikes, if other companies pick up on this. I like it from the standpoint of innovation. I mean, you can only work with so much in the constraints of the UCI, and sometimes it feels like every single bike starts to look the same. Especially with aero bikes, you kind of have those typical features such as those drop seat stays. And bikes just kind of start looking the same. So I like it when a company is willing to take a risk. But there's two big reasons I think that they did this or they said that they did this. One, it shaves off 42 grams of drag, which of course every new aero bike that comes out, it has some competitive edge. At least they say that. Always take that with a grain of salt because you never know exactly the testing conditions and usually it's in a wind tunnel, so it's a very controlled setting. Regardless, still shaves off some drag. Having that different stem handlebar connection, whatever you want to call it. And when I first saw it, I thought it was a one-piece handlebar system which one-piece handlebar systems look really cool. They look really sweet, but there's less customization that you can do with it. So if you aren't somebody who's going to go out and get a professional bike fit, 
or if you don't have team mechanics. It's not always the best bet to go that route, but it does look good. So I thought that this was a one piece. It is actually a two piece, but it is super integrated. I could not tell until somebody wrote about it or said about it in a video that I was watching that it is a two piece stem handlebar system. So that's really cool because then you can order shorter stems, you can order shorter bars, whatever you need to do is just more customizable. But this Y connection going into the bike is also for cable routing, which being a mechanic and seeing some of these aero bikes come out, I'm like, gosh, you are just killing that mechanic. Like, how are they supposed to route those cables? How are they supposed to get that flow right? Because it, it, it's changed with electronic shifting, but let's say you have an all-mechanical group set on your bike. You want that cable to be routed as smooth as possible to both that rear del rear derailleur, rear brake, front derailleur. Front brake is usually a pretty smooth routing. But with these aero bikes and these one-piece stems, you get some weird cable routing where it has to come from that hood around the bar, like down through the top tube, down through the bottom tube, and going through the stem in a very weird way and it gets all kinked as it's going to either a top tube or bottom tube and it just gets some really bad cable routing and then in turn that makes for bad braking poor shifting you just cable you want that flow to be as nice as possible so with this Y though you're able to get much smoother cable routing because you're not trying to jam a bunch of cables through the stem instead you have two stem hole ports that don't have a 90 degree angle in it. Maybe it has like a 45 degree angle or something like that to get down through that tube. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. Now, the bike that they were showing off is the Shimano Dura HDI 2 build. So you don't have as much of that cable routing problem, but you still have a hydraulic hose that you need to run smoothly and run a smooth line through the frame. So I think that is absolutely brilliant. They got the drag part but then they also got the performance part of it. Because if you have weird cable routing, you are going to get poor performance in both braking and shifting. So congrats to Cervelo for doing that. And they really talked about how that was a big part of their design. You know, one part they were talking about the seat post and routing through that. And they said their first iteration had 30 moving parts and their production had four moving parts within that seat post connection with the bike and so I think that's really awesome and they're thinking out or they're looking out for the mechanics so thank you to Cervelo for doing that so what else does this bike have well it has that split head tube like the factor I think factors aero bike has this kind of split head tube so that it's really kind of odd because, I mean, on most bikes, it is a one-piece head tube. But now this has two pieces to it to allow for better, better cable routing. And basically, I think that's about it. Yeah, the split head tube. It looks really cool. I haven't, I've never gotten to play around with one yet, but the split head tube does help for more cable routing, better cable routing. So thank you again for that. The DI2 is stowed away in that handlebar. It was on the left drop. So they placed that in very nicely. I don't always love it in the handlebar. It is very accessible and very easy, tucked away very 
neat and clean, but also I like to have that ability to put in really nice bar end plugs. Now, of course, you can move that, but that is where they believe it is going to be best, and that's what they've built the bike around. It is a disc brake only bike. There is no rim brake versions, and I think that's basically been the trend with aero bikes this year, and I think that's going to be the trend moving forward is we're just going to get away from mechanical rim brakes and every bike is going to start coming out being routed only for disc brakes. Now, one huge upside to this bike after the things I read about people who were able to test them firsthand and I believe it was Cycling Tips who put out a video, about a 19-minute long video on this bike, talked with the designers of it, and did a ride test on it. And they kind of just kept saying over and over that it was a very comfortable bike to ride, which is not something that you hear from aero bikes. Usually it's like, well, yeah, it was, it was fine over that bumpy stretch, but they were actually going as far as to say it was comfortable on gravel. They enjoyed the feeling of it on gravel. And so that's great to have a super stiff, super responsive aero bike that cuts through the wind but is also comfortable on gravel. As today, at least in my own riding, I kind of venture on a little bit of gravel with my road bike because it's not bad. And it's kind of built more for the general population who isn't able to ride on pristine roads every single day or isn't able to travel to Girona in Spain or the mountains of Colorado but no we're just riding on our regular back road streets where you have to hit some gravel every once in a while you have to hit some bumpy paths so really good for them and I think another great thing about this bike the top level Shimano Dura-Ace Di2 is $11,000 which is a lot $11,000 for any bike is a lot but the Shimano Altegra mechanical group set is $6,000. Not the worst I've seen. I got to be honest with you. And if you have Altegra dialed in, Altegra is great. Di2 is great. Dura-Ace is great. But Altegra mechanical, I ride Altegra on my bike. I love it. Still a great performer. So $6,000 for a killer looking aero road bike. A new stem handlebar on a bike for only $6,000. Not terrible, I think. Not terrible. And yes, Sir, or Sunweb will be riding these Cervelos this year. Today they dropped a picture of what that bike is going to look like. It's got some really nice, uh, it's got a really nice look to it. Pretty, pretty clean looking, but still integrates the colors of Sunweb's jersey into that. So I'm a, I'm a fan. So congrats to Cervelo for launching this new bike. They also launched Another bike, the Cervelo S3. I'll get into that to get into that on another podcast. But they launched the new Cervelo S5, and please go look at it because that bar stem combo is very different and looks good. So usually on tech news, I stick to bikes and I stick to wheels coming out and kind of new stuff, basically directed with the bike. But since I'm going to be splitting up these podcasts basically into two, one releasing on Tuesday, one releasing on friday i want to start diving into some other things in the world of tech whether that is clothing whether that is footwear helmets sunglasses lights whatever that is i'm going to start doing that so first off rafa oh my beloved rafa they came out with new commuter jackets 
and I think Rafa has really prided themselves in creating exceptionally good cycling clothing, but also creating exceptionally good cycling commuter clothing, stuff that you can wear on the bike, pop into the office for a meeting, and still look good. And so they came out with new commuter jackets, and these things are bold. I mean, they, they come out in four very bold colors. They're very kind of plain looking, but in a very classic, sleek look to them. So you have four different colors. You have orange, you have black, you have pink, and you have chartreuse. And so they are all very bright. They stand out. Even the black is, you know, it, it pops. It works. It's definitely darker than the orange, pink, and yellow. But the rest of them are very bold and really pop out, which is good for commuting. And they're waterproof. At least as far as I know, they are waterproof. Haven't been able to test it out. But it is made with a lightweight fabric with a hydrophobic membrane. How sophisticated does that sound? Hydrophobic membrane. Has a fully waterproof center zip that is off center so it does not irritate your chin, which I think is a really, really smart idea. The first time I bought a piece of Rafa clothing with that off center zip, it was a Rafa classic vest. And I was uh, you know, a little skeptical of like, do I really like the fashion side of that? But also that zipper does not sit right next to my chin. And if you have a beard at all, sometimes that chin hair gets stuck in that zipper, and that hurts. That really hurts. So I think that's really smart that they move that zip over, zipper over. And they do that on some of their other clothing as well, but they move it over so that you don't get irritated there. And then there is reflective strips both on the tail, so right above your butt, or if the jacket's long enough, it's on your butt there. They have a reflective logo along with some other reflective pieces there so even if you are wearing a backpack it still shows up then they have a reflective line on the hood but it is a very striking jacket looks very clean on you know some of these waterproof jackets look like garbage bags or look like body bags this is a very stylish very stylish jacket so again i love rafa Love Rafa. There is no doubt in the world that I love Rafa. Like this jacket, I probably won't be picking it up. Don't really have a big need for it. But if you're in the market for commuting and you need something to stand out from the rest of the crowd so you can be as safe as possible with cars and you want something that is not going to break the bank, this is $135, which for Rafa, I would say is on the cheaper side. They tend to be pretty expensive, but $135 for a very functional very good looking jacket and if you want to be seen even more you can pick up the Lazine laser drive rear light now this thing really excited me when i first saw it and i just ordered it i think it is coming in tomorrow and i can tell you how awesome it is in real life but what this rear light does not only is it a really powerful rear light but it also shoots two laser beams down onto the ground and kind of makes a bike lane around your bike. I thought that was really cool. You know, for commuting, I, uh, I commute every once in a while. It's about an 11-mile commute. A lot of the time, it's on bike paths, but every once in a while, I do have to get out onto the road. 
but even for road biking as well, I like to be seen. I like to add a light on the back of my bike. I like to add it on the front if I'm going to be doing anything at dusk or dawn or where it is going to be not well lit outside. I like to put that front light on. And so this just takes it to a whole new level of putting those lines on the ground so cars can visibly see. I, well, one, I should not get close enough to touch that line, but also I should give that line space. And so hopefully it's going to help push cars even a little bit further away. And again, every piece of your kit or thing that you can put on your bike that's going to catch the eye of a driver, do it. You don't have to get obnoxious with it and, you know, be like, look at me, look at me. There's some things that you can do to do that. But, you know, like with the Rafa jacket, it's a nice touch. It's a bold color, but yet it doesn't scream obnoxious. I, I feel like there's some times where you can get obnoxious. And if you want to be obnoxious, that's okay. Not not my flavor. So I like this design, laser drive, rear light. That's just another level of added safety, putting those laser beams down on the ground and then we're going to wrap up tech news with some new shoes coming out from physique global cycling network did a whole video on this so if you really want to get more in depth on what these shoes look like and get some better reviews right maybe not better reviews but more reviews head on over to global cycling network check out the video that they did on this but i'm going to talk about three shoes from physique the Infinito R1 Knit Shoe retails at $450. A little bit expensive for uh, for my wallet, I would say, when it comes to a shoe. But Garain Thomas also wore these shoes in the Tour de France. He won the Tour de France. So if I buy them, put them on my feet, and go out cycling with them, I will be as fast as Garain Thomas. No, these shoes are knit. Now, we have seen two prominent well three now i guess but two prominent shoemakers come out with knit shoes that is physique and giro also dmt came out with a knit shoe that i believe elia viviani was wearing in a race that he won because he basically wins every race that he rides in but uh yeah the knit shoe from physique is still super stiff up top it has that knit I should say what like knit top to it which you would think would be bendable because i have a lot of nike shoes that have that knit material on it adidas has their knit material and i freaking love it love knit for my street shoes i wear some nike fly knit shoes almost every single day but i was skeptical for sure when they came out on cycling shoes because you want that stiff upper you want that stiff bottom i mean a lot of things with the cycling shoe is stiff so that you can transfer as much power through those pedals but then that upper part on that upper part of your pedal stroke you don't want it to be light and bendable but physique said that this shoe is still super stiff up top but that knit portion is able to give it a lot more breathability to it so you can keep those feet cooler keep them more comfortable but yet still have that stiffness and that shoe also has a great volume control they call it with the two dial BOA system. So the, the BOA system wraps in a different way to give you just a little bit better fit as you turn those dials on both the upper part of your foot and the lower part of your foot. So that is at the top of the spectrum. And then next you have the Tempo 
over curve R5, and that retails at $150. And that has a nylon carbon bottom mix to it, and so you don't get as much stiffness with that type of bottom, but you also get some more flexibility, and it's a great shoe if you're just getting into cycling something with a nylon bottom because you're going to find a little bit more comfort with it. You don't necessarily need that stiffness or desire that stiffness yet, but this is a really classic looking shoe. It, it, the one I'm looking at, I think my, my favorite color of it is a white silhouette with basically these perforations throughout the shoe that have a nice flow and design to it. It just looks like a classic cycling shoe. It isn't anything that hits you in the face. It just looks very, very classy. Very classy. It's got a boa dial up top, and it has a small Velcro strap down down below. So $150 is pretty cheap to get into the cycling shoe world. You can get shoes under $100, but for the most part, uh, if you want to play the game, got to spend over $100 on a pair of shoes unless you buy them used, you buy them on sale, something like that. Full retail though, $150, not terrible for a pair of shoes. And I really like the silhouette of this. It's a very clean, clean, classic looking shoe. And then, unfortunately, I love the first two shoes. The last shoe that I'm going to talk about is the Tempo Power Strap. So you have the Tempo Overcurve, which I just talked about. It has the Boa Dial up top and a small Velcro strap down below. Now, the Tempo Power Strap R5 has a nylon bottom to it. has kind of basically that same exact silhouette as the Overcurve has similar perforations throughout the shoe but then it just has these awful looking straps that go over the shoe now people on instagram and on the internet have been raving about how much they like this shoe but it is just not not my style like if you look above it you have two straps going over to what would be the outside of your foot and then another strap down by the toe going into the inside of your foot. So it does look like for a Velcro strap shoe, you are going to get the best fit. Because one of my first pairs of cycling shoes was Giro with a three-strap Velcro system. And after a while, I just, I did not like the three Velcro system. It didn't give me enough support in the places that I wanted. I couldn't kind of fine-tune that fit that I wanted. Which is great because that was my first shoe taught me that my next shoe I want more adjustability now for a velcro strap shoe this looks like it does give you a ton of adjustability and you can fine-tune it probably to the best of any velcro shoe that is out there but I just think it is terrible to look at it is not not my forte I'm sorry if you do like this it's just it is not it's not fashionable for me so I would definitely it'd be a pass for me on these shoes I I would not wear them ever on a bike. But the other two, I would. I, I really like the Tempo Overcurve. The knit one for me is kind of up in the air. I, I don't necessarily love it. I don't hate it. I think it's a really cool innovation. I just don't love the silhouette yet of it. I currently ride Giro Empire shoes, so kind of a very classic lace-up style looking shoe. I like that. I like an all-white shoe as well for the most part. Well, predominantly white shoe as well. I think that just looks really clean on the bike. 
And so for the power strap, I feel like the the white silhouette is then taken away from these just black stripes that black straps, but they look like stripes. That just kind of hits you in the face on this shoe. So pass for me, but the other two shoes, awesome. I will say the power strap comes in at 119, which is a fantastic price for a very high quality shoe in physique because physique makes great shoes. They make great saddles. They make kind of great everything. So that is wrapping up tech news. And now that I'm moving maintenance and training to a separate podcast, this means that is the end of the Cycling with Watts podcast episode 12. But I hope you enjoyed it because we went through ton of racing a little bit more in depth talk about a little bit more stuff we got to have a new segment with Sagan watch and every time you hear a siren now think Sagan Peter Sagan siren Peter Sagan siren siren Sagan siren Sagan say that 10 times fast and then I don't know give yourself a pat on the back for doing it or go eat a cookie or pastry or celebrate somehow if you can say that 10 times fast and still be audible at the end of it then we went into more tech. We looked at the Cervelo S5. Beautiful looking bike. Please go check out that handlebar stem combination. Looked at Rafa's new commuter jacket, Lazine laser drive, rear light, and physique shoes. So I thank you so much. So, 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 so much for tuning in to episode 12 of Cycling with Watts podcast. Dedicated to get you out on your bike more. And I am your host, Jared Watts. If you want more Cycling with Watts. You can find me on Instagram at Cycling with Watts. You can find me on Twitter at Cycling with Watts. Now, Twitter is a little bit different. It is Cycling WTH Watts. If I put the I in there too long, can't have that Twitter handle. So it is Cycling WTH Watts. You can go check out my blog on cyclingwithwatts.com. I'm still working on an email. I really need to get that that nailed down so I can take questions from you guys and get connected to you even more. But if you like the podcast, I'd really encourage you to share it with your friends, share it with people who love cycling because I, at the end of the day, I am out there to educate more and more people about cycling. I just had a friend reach out to me about power meters and I got super, super excited and started sending him a bunch of texts and, and info and stuff like that because I, I'm just excited to teach people more about cycling, get them more invested in the sports that then go out and ride bikes and love bikes as much as I do. So I hope that passion comes through on this podcast because I want you guys to, to love bikes as much as I love them. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Get out on that bike before it gets too cold. And if it is too cold, then get on the indoor bike and get on Zwift and go rack up some KOMs in a whole virtual world. So that is it. I am out. Thanks for tuning in. Roll that sting music, and we'll end this podcast.